Mmm, yeah, this is this is Scooby Dudes. Oh, Evan, can you not do that while you're while we're recording, please? No, here, uh, look, our listeners—they went out of their way to uh, to play our podcast on their date instead of something a, a little more romantic. I'm just trying to set set the mood, set the atmosphere. Yeah, but do you have to like rub your hands all over your body while you're setting the mood? Can you just do the well, voice, please? Well, I like please? to think that 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 conveys that adds to uh, to the tone. It adds something. I think we need to subtract from the tone at this stage. Maybe look, our our listeners could have put on anything while while this date was going on. You know, they could have put on some Marvin Gaye. Instead, they put on some Luke and Evan, Scooby Dudes. Look, don't don't do that. Put on the Ritz. Put on the dog, if you will. No, look, we can we can do this. We can make it happen for them. Okay, I that might be, it could it can be a pleasant night. <laughs> How so? Give me more specifics, Evan. Where do you see this night going for them? Sorry, I'm afraid I've already gone too far. This is too explicit. We will need to edit this out. For uh, for that explicit cut we keep talking about, <laughs> listeners, this is Scooby Dudes. Get ready to get your d- or v- <laughs> come on, man. <laughs> no, we want we just want this night to go well for you guys. We don't necessarily want you to get air quotes lucky. I I think at the end of the day, what matters is they've found the right podcast. This is what they should be listening to right now. There's nothing else that would better fit this time or this place. You found each other. More importantly, you found us and we found you. Please, uh, please enjoy this episode and enjoy your date. And, uh, and split the bill. Let's be egalitarian here. It's 2017. 20, it's 2017. <laughs> enjoy. Oh, wait, hang on. Should we say what episode we're doing? <laughs> uh, I don't think we should. Honestly, I don't think we should. I think we're good. I think we should press... It's jeepers, it's the creeper. <laughs> I think we should press stop right now. <laughs> Two dudes talking about Scooby-Doo. Two dudes just like you. Unless you're a lady, mm, this show is for ladies too. If you're LGBTQ, we are your Scooby-Doos. That was the intro. This is the episode. That was the episode. This is the outro. Thank no, you no, guys no, no, for no, joining hold on, hold us on. next week. Well, oh, I'm hold sorry. We still, we need to do the actual episode still. Can we just cut that in or something? Or like play the episode? (laughs) Just the whole, just the audio? Yeah, just the audio. I think we're going to be fine. Can we just keep recording these motorcycle and car noises from outside my window? Close your window. I think that's what people want. Fine. Jeez. Mom. There we go. A little little behind the scenes for all of our... uh our loyal listeners mm, yeah so so what are we doing why are we here oh well i mean we're here to talk about our favorite meddling kids we're two best friends here to talk about our favorite meddling kids and that's all that's it so uh so jeremy jeremy has been misbehaving a lot and jeremy and then there's kyle i think kyle and jeremy make each other worse I think they feed off of each other a little bit. We need to separate them. Yeah. We also need to cut down their sugar intake. Yeah, and I think, really, we just need to talk to them about Kathy. They're, they're both into Kathy, and that's why they're acting up so much. They want that attention from her. I would feel a lot better about it if, if Kathy were not the, the daycare manager and, uh, and 47 years old. Yeah, it's, it's not a normal fetish. I encourage their fetishes wherever I can. It, it makes me a little bit uncomfortable that we're calling this attraction a fetish, uh... Jeremy and uh, Jeremy and his friend—they're—they're they're very young. I—I've tried to demystify you, fetishes. You're not—you're trying not to kink shame the children. I don't want to kink shame the children. I want to kink praise the children. I don't like this bit. Can I? 
Can I just come out and say that? I find their kinks and I put a gold star on them. Also, how I fix my garden hose. You're, you're kink rewarding them. Yeah. It's opposite of shame. I think kink praise would be it. Kink praising. Yeah, you're kink praising them. That's the best thing. That's the best kind of parenting. You're raising and you're kink praising. Raising and kink praise. Uh, again, my mom does listen to this podcast. Raise your hands and kink praise, brothers and sisters. Thank you for joining us on this Sunday morning. All right, you made it worse. I know. Okay. Um, we are here today to discuss Jeepers, It's the Creeper. Jeepers, It's the Creeper. Perhaps the most classic episode of Scooby-Doo ever. It is one of the most classic episodes. It is a very recognizable ghoul. And one that you should be able to see him and just like, no. You're like, oh, this is, this is that guy. Yeah, he appears in a lot of intros. A lot of theme songs feature the Creeper. Because he does look like a very iconic Scooby-Doo villain. We are back to Scooby-Doo Where Are You? The classic Scooby-Doo. We kind of, I know that we, we've been hitting a lot of the newer stuff. We wanted to get back to that classic, that good old-fashioned Scooby-Doo. If you were with us last week, you saw us do Shags to Riches, an episode from Shaggy and Scooby-Doo Get a Clue. It was so, so far from the classic Scooby-Doo formula that we needed to get back to basics. And this episode was exactly that. Oh, man. Moment by moment, it was a total relief. So this is Season 2, Episode 4. Can I read the synopsis? Please read the synopsis for us. After making a horrific discovery in the basement of an old abandoned church, Trish and her brother Derry watch their routine road trip home from college turn into a heart-stopping race for their lives. They find themselves the chosen prey of an indestructible force that relentlessly pursues them and gives a new and chilling meaning to the old song, Jeepers Creepers. So I didn't actually read the premise before we dove into this. It took me far too long to realize that you were messing with me. <laughs> When you got to the old, the basement of the old church, I was like, really, is that where that takes place? I'm, I'm, my notes are lackluster this week. So that's it. That's this episode. <laughs> Jeepers Creepers, let's dive right into this, what, 80s horror movie? 2001. It's really? not that old. Man, I, I mean, thought it was older. It's, it's 16 years old as of this recording, but... Yeah, still underage, dude. Quit slobbering all over Jeepers Creepers. Uh, do you want to read the real synopsis? So we are watching Jeepers, It's the Creeper. This is season two, episode three. While they are on their way to their high school's barn dance, the gang comes across a knocked out bank guard and his ransacked car. After he mumbles to them some clues, they discover that the local banks have been robbed by a mysterious zombie-like phantom called the Creeper. Where do we want to kick things off? How about we touch on the fact that it really firmly ages the gang? They're in high school, I guess. It's either that or they're college-aged kids who are attending a high school dance. Until I read the premise, that's what my assumption was, is that they're not in high school. They have no real connection to this high school. Uh, which, I've, which I've done, by the way. Like, you know, our, our high school in Thailand, I've gone back as a, as a college-aged person and attended their grad dance. Yeah, but that's our high school in Thailand. And granted, in high school, you attended other schools' dances because you were cool like that. But in this, the way it feels is that these guys are not in high school. They are not from this high school. They're just trolling for dances to go to, especially in rural areas. It's not even like you're in a city and you're going to, like, the, uh, the school dance across town. This is an isolated rural school. And I think the fact that, like, they drive this gaudy, not VW, but, you know, this gaudy van makes it seem like, yeah, they're not from around here. It doesn't look like a, <laughs> this doesn't look like a backwoods van. This is definitely a city van. These city kids coming down with their city van. Uh, so that's it. I, even though they said a bunch of times, like, it's our dance, like, this is our dance that we're going to, 
it was hard for me to buy it, I guess. It's hard to fit it in with what else we have to know about them, which is that they go to a lot of other places and explore a lot of other mysteries. It feels like they have more freedom than high school students. It feels like they're more world travelers than your typical rural high schooler. And they look like college students. I think that's fair to say. Yeah. One weird thing in this episode is that we see a lot of other people that are approximately their age, maybe a little bit younger. And we almost never see anyone in their approximate demographic. Yeah, their peers. There are a bunch of their peers around. It's always like, I don't know if we ever see children in Scooby-Doo, maybe eventually. I mean, Flim Flam. Oh, Flim Flam. Flim Flam is a, uh, a, a George Foreman type. He's not a he's not a real child in my mind. Was George Foreman a... I mean, obviously George Foreman was a child at a point in time. What are you trying to say about George Foreman? Well, George Foreman was an adult who... Oh, actually, no. Is it because he sold grills? Is that, like, what you're talking no, about? No, I'm mixing up George Foreman with your... <laughs> The guy in different strokes, <laughs> which is pretty terrible. Yeah, George Foreman, he he boxed Mike Tyson, <laughs> Rumble okay, in the Jungle. Okay, I'm getting mixed up with Gary Coleman, who also <laughs> who also boxed Mike Tyson successfully. <laughs> oh, to cut or to keep, my eternal question when it comes to these enormous flub-ups, you, these enormous racially tinged flub-ups. I like, I like that you, uh, you clearly, you see race but you don't see size. That's the thing. I'm a, <laughs> I am a racist. Of course, who's not nowadays? It's 2017, people. We're all racists. <laughs> I kind of want that to be the new thing where it's like, come on, you guys. It's 2017. Who's not sexist? <laughs> That's kind of what's happening nationally with all these xenophobic... Where we, we've taken a clear step back. So yeah. now th th this is 2017 now. You see all these racist, all these uh, these clan members coming out of the woodworks like, oh, I guess it's okay now. Hey guys, it's, uh, it's like there was a nuclear war and now we can come out of our fallout shelters. Someone's wearing like a trans awareness shirt and you look at them in disgust and you're like... Kh. Come on, man, it's 2017. Come on, man, it's 2017. Get with the times. <laughs> I kind of like that. I kind of never want anyone to hear that. All right, so uh, Gary Coleman is on his way to a high school dance with uh, with George Foreman. Um, well, let's go into the intro. How about that? It's that classic Scooby-Doo introduction. You know, you have, like, Daphne steps forward as a, as a ghostly hand kind of, like, swipes where she was once standing. You have Fred sitting in a chair that like falls back through like a bookshelf opening up, and uh, and you have Scooby Doo and Shaggy obviously running away from a myriad of different monsters. For me, this was the shot in the arm I needed to get me back on track after last week's highly irregular episode. This is like being homeless on the streets of New York City for several years and then returning to your hometown where everyone knows your name is and it has a casserole and zucchini to hand you as you pass by. Or excuse me, I'm in Minnesota. A hot dish and a zucchini to pass you as you... Why is the zucchini the consistent... Uh... Okay, I, I grew up in a small town where everyone grew zucchinis, but nobody liked them, and nobody wanted to say that to each other. So you'd always give zucchinis to other people. I don't want to spend Christmas with you anymore. <laughs> Fine. I got zuki dudes coming up. Zuki. Zuki dudes. We are your zuki dudes. <laughs> Okay, we we have to start this episode. We really got to get into the meat of the episode. My headline on the intro is that it was a delight. It felt it really put me in the mood for this episode. Uh, so so we open up on a on a man in a car, uh, which is very similar to what, what a, a night, night for a night. night. It's the same setup. There's just a man alone, driving down a dark country road. Yep. And this man, he uh, 
he comes across a tree that has fallen into into the road that he's on. And, and what do you do when you encounter a tree that's fallen over the road? Obviously, you get out of your car, you roll up your sleeves, and you get ready to push it out of the way, even though this tree is clearly at least a ton. What's that? A tree? Time to move it. And yeah, he means to bodily move this tree by himself. I feel like he would need to be a little, like, if he could bench 220 pounds, more power to him. This seems more like a 440 pound strength job. Yeah, I mean, we were just talking about uh, Red Shoes and the Seven Dwarves, so I don't want to body shame this guy, but uh, he's not built like someone who can roll that tree out of the way. He's no, uh, he's no Haskell. He's no Haskell. He's no, uh, he's no Gaston from the beloved Disney remake of Beauty and the Beast. Whoa, hey, only I can do that. Only you can do that. Okay, I, I have it from at least one source. That someone was, I don't know if they liked it, but they were impressed by it. <laughs> I think they were impressed by me and my tolerance for that bit. It's very likely, yeah. Uh, you, we... well, well, the guy is pushing this tree out of the way, and behind him we see the creeper. The, again, iconic creeper. What does he look He's like? He's kind of uh, zombie-esque. He has, a, he has like a greenish pallor to his skin. And he's got one eye that is clearly bigger than the other, and they're both joined by a monobrow. And he, he slouches. He's got, he's got horrible posture. Yep, and he looks like he's wearing a, an old suit, old even for the times. What, what I was going to talk about was how I like it when, when they open up, their sort of introduction is shot like a horror movie. And this is definitely shot like a horror movie. I see where you're coming from with this. Yeah, I, I like that a lot, where it's like you see someone and, you know, they're, they're unaware of the danger that they're in. You see a shot of the monster, and then it transitions to the gang. Yeah, it pans away before we see what the creeper does, before we even hear the driver's reaction. So that's all unknown. Presumably, we're going to see the gang come up on the result of this uh, interaction. And, and as you say, we cut to the gang who are driving the mystery machine on their way to the premise. Uh, which is a school dance. They decided to hold the school dance inside a barn and have a hayride be like a part of it. It sounds like some good, clean, rural fun. How the gang has gotten in on this is my big question. What's their connection to this school? Wikipedia, again, the premise says it's their school. I'm skeptical on that. But it does sound like some good, clean, farm time fun. Scooby and Shaggy are obviously excited uh, because school dances have, have buffets. They have There's a spread. Yes, Shaggy can't wait to get his hands on the buffet table. And these are highly articulated hands, I would mention. They're, they're uh, animated with detail. With affection. Animated with affection. <laughs> Scooby dudes, animated with affection. His hands are very nicely animated as he's kind of like grasping at the air, reaching for this buffet table. And there's one specific element that he really is looking forward to. You recall that? Yeah, he is super jazzed about getting some chocolate-covered corn on the cob. Yeah, it's his favorite dish, apparently. <laughs> Scooby, for his part, is, uh, is mostly looking forward to the Ritz of the activity. And we... He has, he has uh, donned a... Uh, a very fancy bow tie. bow tie blue tie with black dots and he's putting it on in front of the, what's almost a mini green room mirror in the back of the van it's got like those bulb lights at the top of it and he's got a couple of drawers in it the, the back of the van is kind of whatever you want it to be yeah and in this case like you said it is it is almost like a like a green room it's it's a little green room for scooby and what uh, velma says is that scooby's getting ready to put on the dog it, a brand new phrase for me. I wanted to look into it, and I don't know if it's like, if that is the actual expression, or if it's a play on an actual expression. It is the actual expression, because I did look into it. It's to behave in a pretentious or ostentatious way, to put on the dog. Like, uh, Aunt May's coming in town, we're gonna have to put on the dog for a while. So, the gang, uh, they come across 
this this man in this car that that we had talked about and the man he is uh he's leaning against the tree that he had been meaning to push out of the way he's knocked out cold but presumably out and not dead fred takes one look at his blank gray outfit and says ah bank guard he's a bank guard bank guards wear gray everyone knows that and it's not yeah it's not like he has the bank logo like emblazoned on his body anywhere zero branding anywhere on this guard he's not wearing a guard hat he doesn't have a flashlight or a gun or anything or like an empty bag with a dollar sign yeah, on it the, the, the vehicle he's driving is not a um oh it's not an armored car it's not an armored car exactly yeah it's it's just it's a nondescript like there's sedan. no indication i I want to say Fred has an active imagination, except for the fact that he's right. This is a bank guard. And here's what's very disturbing is, is they see they see the car, and it's been totaled, but specifically the interior of the yeah, car. Yeah, Shaggy says it's the weirdest accident he's ever seen, because the outside of the car is fine, the inside is a wreck. We're going to keep getting into this as we proceed through this episode, but this episode sort of sets a high bar for Scooby-Doo violence. It, it really does. The, the torn up inside of the car and the fact that the, the guard has been knocked out. I mean, we don't even know that he's alive at this point. He is, okay, anybody listening, he's alive. But we don't know that. He might be dead. He might have been dead and ravaged. He's probably been violated before he died maybe even after but he's not that didn't happen but we don't know that yet see now now i really want to see like a scooby-doo csi crossover <laughs> oh that one that one csi episode there uh, no signs of sexual trauma that's exactly what i was thinking no signs of sexual drama uh so the inside of the car has been ransacked the guard comes to for just a moment he he says a pretty cryptic line before he passes out again he says the flame will talk the creeper and he hands them a blank piece of paper. Or he hands them a piece of paper. Can I do that sound bite one more time? And he hands them a piece of paper. Are you happy with that? Do you, do you want to just hit, hit me with one more? And he hands them, wait, get, hang on. It's a piece of paper. These pretzels are making me thirsty. He hands, so he hands them a blank pretzel. <laughs> I didn't want to say blank piece of paper because I didn't want to give away that it was blank. It's a blank piece of paper though. Gives him a cryptic message and a blank piece of paper. Scooby finds another uh, scrap of paper on the ground that uh, Shaggy reads to find that is the bank president's address. You know, the gang, they're, they're good Samaritans. They're not like the Levites. They're not like the teachers of the law. They're not going to leave this guy on the side of the road. Yeah, they're not going to step over him. They're going to put him in the mystery machine. They're going to take him to a, to a nearby hotel. They're going to put him there. They're going to tell the hotel manager, here are two coins. Here are two Scooby snacks. We are good Scoobmeritans. <laughs> exactly. We have, uh, we have already wrapped his wounds in linen and wine. I need you to take care of this man. I will come back and I will reimburse you for the cost it takes. To, to care for him. Yes, and we pan from there to Jesus relaying this story to kids in a barn where the <laughs> dance is taking place. It all ties together. But they do transport the uh, the injured guard. They take the clues they've got and they transport the injured guard to the bank manager's house. Uh, and the bank manager is there. His name is Mr. Carswell. The first thing he tells us is something kids should not take to heart. You did the proper thing by bringing the guard to my house. He'll be fine when he wakes up. I guess bank managers' houses are great places to recover from concussions. They should have taken him to a hospital. Absolutely. Probably the hospital's a long ways away, and they want to make it to the dance. And they're like, oh, this is on the way. They, they mentioned the name of the Creeper to uh, Mr. Carswell. Mr. Carswell explains that uh, the Creeper has been robbing his banks at night. Yeah. It's uh, at the... 
that the creeper is a phantom that can walk through walls, and so he robs the bank every night with no sign of a break-in. And I would note, as Mr. Carswell says this, he's standing beside an end table, and you, we should be able to see his legs underneath the end table, but we can't. It, there's an animation mistake where we just see carpet behind, so he's got like a gap where his legs are not, and they should be. I think, I think that you're wrong. I like to think that he is just wearing carpet-covered slacks. That's a possibility. I, I feel shamed. There, and there's just a couple of other things that happen during their interaction. And one thing is that Mr. Carswell says, Tell me, were there any clues to who did this? Velma responds, No clues. Which, I think she's forgetting about the very cryptic riddle that the bank, uh, that the bank guard said, as well as the blank piece of paper, as well as the torn-up car, and just the whole scene overall. But to her mind, no clues. We don't have anything yet. We'll let you know when we turn up something that's mm, unusual. What I, what I particularly love is after they have sort of met with Mr. Carswell and found out about this mystery, it is a mystery, Fred's response is, Phantom or no phantom, we've got a date at the burn dance. Which is so un-Fred-like. To ignore the, the mystery at hand in favor of, uh, of hanging out with girls. And it's not even that Fred is dancing with other girls. He's dancing with Daphne. Yeah, he's just dancing with Daphne. And obviously Shaggy is Daphne. Well, yeah, he's just dancing with Daphne. Those two one-on-one, they're pretty into it. They're, they're doing the, uh, the twist, I, be I believe it's called. The twist. Is it a requirement that Fred keeps his wrist ultra limp during the twist? <laughs> I, don't, I haven't done this dance myself. I don't know. I, I do think that's part of the dance, yes. <laughs> Man, good job, Fred. You have got it down pat. Basically, yeah, he, he wants to go to this dance but he's spending time with Daphne, you could have done that during the mystery. Yeah, do you think that Shaggy, Belma, and Scooby are going to judge you for dancing with Daphne? We all know it. We all know what's going on. Uh, interestingly, I, I, I think you were about to say that it, logically or that it makes sense, but I think, interestingly, Shaggy is dancing with Velma. I was about to say that logically that makes sense, but uh, yeah, that is interesting. And the Velma's expression while she's dancing with Shaggy, it seems almost like she's kind of into him. Except for the fact that, uh, well, Shaggy says this is a great dance floor. Velma says, so dance on the floor, not my feet. And it zooms in, and he's just, like, stomping. It's as if he's just trying to grind his heel into her toe as much as possible. And if you can picture Shaggy and Velma's feet at the drop of a hat like I can, Shaggy has clown feet, <laughs> Velma has... Very dainty. Oppressed Chinese woman feet. <laughs> <laughs> right. She, like, she's, she's uh, Chinese foot binding. binding yeah. uh, runs deep in her family. Immediately following that, Scooby taps Shaggy's shoulder and cuts in, if you will, stealing Velma's dancing partner. Well, I've been a wallflower before, but this is ridiculous. That I feel a little bit for you, Velma. <laughs> to me, this speaks to a, uh, a deeper relationship underneath that Velma's kind of into Shaggy, but she wants him to step up in a way that he never will. I don't know, am I totally off base? What do you think? I think it's very reasonable that, that Velma would be jealous of the connection that Daphne and Fred have, right? And her only two options are Shaggy and a dog. It's it's not as much about Shaggy. It's about that she wants to maybe be Daphne. She wants to be with Fred a little bit, but that's obviously a closed circuit. There's no way you're breaking into that. And these are her yeah, only options. I, I think I think that their relationship helps exacerbate the loneliness that uh, that Velma might feel. And she feels it even more here in a room full of other teens who she somehow can't approach. I know that feeling. They, they look kind of like blank slate Josie and the Pussycats sort of like characters. Yeah. Oh, Dinkley. Whatever the case. They go over to the buffet. They eat some food. Uh, we have a lovely little scene where uh, Shaggy gets his chocolate 
His his corn on the cob, a la chocolate syrup. It's, it's chocolate syrup. It's a little bit of a yes. typo there. And Shaggy dips the corn into the syrup and then puts the corn all the way down his gullet, front ways, pulls it back out, and it has no corn on it at all, let alone syrup. Shaggy's got uh, that that throat relaxation down pat. And after that, we have a scary moment. We pan to the exterior of the barn, and we see the uh, the creeper. We neglected to mention that the creeper kind of has, like, the requisite, like... The most... Cla- I use classic a lot, but it's the most classic monster noise you could imagine. Uh, but the creeper also says his own name. <laughs> he does? He's a Pokemon. He's kind of like the Hodor of uh, of Scooby Doo. <laughs> I forgot. I did not notice that for some reason. Yeah, he's a creeper. Well, that makes sense. That's how they know what his name is. Like the uh, bank guard, he doesn't wear any branding. He has to shout it out for himself. There's a big old power switch on the outside of this barn, which the creeper he pulls down. Um, and what I wrote down here is that the monsters in the Scooby Doo universe or rather the the men and women inside the costumes they're all method actors even when they're nowhere near another person they're in character is that what you're saying yeah because think about it if this was if this was me i would have sidled up to this power switch i would have pulled it down and I would have walked away. I would not have hunched and slouched over. Continuing to make monster noises. Pulled down the power switch. And been... It's unnecessary. I have no audience. I think we didn't see that uh, right next to the creeper, there were like three teenagers having a smoke. <laughs> so he had, to, he had to maintain that illusion. That does check out. I, I have been to high school. No one smoked in our high school. Joey did. Oh, man. Joey, you badass. Yeah. So the lights are out. The creeper has cut the power. Fred says it's just a power outage. It's not such a big deal, even though everyone else is freaking out. Uh, Fred also has the really bright idea of, like, come on, you guys. The party doesn't stop here. Let's all go to the mall shop and keep things going. People are in favor of that idea. Fred seems to be the ringleader of this this dance overall. Not just his own gang, but everyone else seems to look to Fred for some guidance. Which kind of implies a little bit that he maybe actually go to this high school or have some kind of connection. Either that or he's just cool. They look to whoever can bench 220, and that's who they follow. Shaggy and Scooby are very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Conscientious? They're very considerate. Uh, considerate. Yeah, because they're, they're like, look, we know we're all going to head over to this party. The mall shop will have food there. We're not going to bring all of this food with us. We don't have room in our cars and our vehicles. We will clear out the buffet, and we'll, we'll come back in a sec. All of the other teenagers go over to the malt shop, except the gang. Uh, Fred, Daffy, and Velma wait in the car while Scooby and Shaggy clean up the buffet table. Which, the thing that I noticed, because we talked about this last episode, is that on that table, there are eggs. We can't say whether Scooby ate those eggs or Shaggy ate those eggs, but they were eaten by the time we reached the end of the table. Our ideal Shaggy is a vegetarian, yes? Yes. Not a, not a vegan. Are eggs vegetarian? Quick question for my resident vegan. Are eggs vegetarian? Yeah. Eggs are vegetarian, so... Shaggy is still vegetarian. Man, that's that's great to know. Mm-hmm. And the reason I bring this up is that Casey Kasem, the voice of Shaggy, is a vegetarian, was a vegetarian, yeah. and deeply wanted Shaggy to be vegetarian as well. So it's a great thing to see for me whenever I see Shaggy eating food that is not meat. You can't really tell, but it turns out that all of the dishware is paper. Yeah, I'd assumed it was real dishes, but it's just paper. Uh, and Shaggy and Scooby, much to their discredit... They're not very environmentally friendly. No. They decide to just take all these paper plates and they're just going to dump them outside. They're going to dump them next to this creepy scarecrow out back. Let's dump them next to this ugly scarecrow. And this is... 
I, I guess Casey Kasem had no environmental concerns. <laughs> Um, and really, it makes the creeper for when he obviously turns out. The creeper is obviously the scarecrow, and when he reacts negatively towards Scooby and Shaggy, I'm tempted to be on his side. He's kind of a uh, Smokey the Bear type figure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. He look. Don't litter. Look, I'm saying this to our podcast audience. Don't throw your garbage on the ground. Not okay. Really, not okay. Like this is not a bit. Like just don't do that. Look, two things you should learn from Scooby-Dudes. Don't litter, don't kink-shame your children. Kink-praise your children, okay? (laughs) Bad looks from every corner. (laughs) No, really, the creeper is elevated in this scene in my mind. He's an eco-warrior. I think that's a a term you might have been looking for. Yeah. Uh, He he chases uh, Scooby and Shaggy. They run into Velma, knock her down, and her glasses fall off. In a delightful trope. My glasses. I can't find my glasses. I can't see without my glasses. Then Scooby and Shaggy run directly into a bale of hay where they hide. Much to the discredit of the rest of the gang, they leave Velma there scrabbling for her her eyewear on the ground. Fred and Daphne are confused for a moment as to why why Shaggy and Scooby are running. They get it and they immediately ditch Velma. They dive into the bale of hay with Scooby and Shaggy as Velma is still scrounging for her glasses. The creeper sidles up. And Velma still does not know why everyone is freaking out. Here's something notable. I mentioned that the creeper has horrendous posture. The creeper's posture is so bad that the creeper is about as tall as Velma is on her knees looking for her glasses. That's insane. Velma is already tiny. At Velma's full height, she is two feet shorter than Shaggy. I did not catch that comparison, but that's nuts. Um, she finds her glasses... And this is a wonderful little visual gag, is she's on her knees, and she does not get up on on her feet. She just sort of, like, scooches away on her knees. (laughs) All the way back into the bale of hay. And what follows is, in every regard, a chase scene. And it is scored by a song that I looked up, and it's called called Daydreamin', and then in brackets, The Ostrich Song. I I didn't look it up before uh, we went into this scene, so I just heard it and I was like, oh, fantastic, a chase scene. It's going to be scored by a real song. Daydreaming, head in the sand. Daydreaming, isn't it grand? I'm in love with an ostrich. What? <laughs> Back up a second. You had me for a minute there. I, I love it. It's, it's a really lovely song, but has nothing to do whatsoever with, with the chase scene, with the context <laughs> of the episode. It's a song about loving ostriches. And not caring what everyone else thinks. It's a song about bestiality bucking society standards. A, a, a true kink praise anthem if we've ever heard one. Oh my gosh. And especially after Scooby and Shaggy have just had a nice little dance on the floor. I can't tell if we're going to edit that out or not. Um, is there anything you want to point out <laughs> about the chase scene, which which I quite like? I just wanted to pull the daydreaming song to see really quick if I could see anything else in there that was notable. It's fun to be in love with an ostrich, and if you haven't tried it, don't deny it, my friend, because it's so much fun. Okay, that's what I wanted to say. It sounds like an extremely douchey friend asking you if you've ever been with a particular type of woman. Like, oh, dude, have you ever been with an XYZ chick? It's insane. Like, dude, don't talk to me about that. No, man, ostriches. Man, they got that. (laughs) No, that we're editing that part out. (laughs) And I couldn't not. But that's an insane song. Uh, The chase scene... 
The chase scene takes place while the gang is in a bale of hay. They continue to run away while they're in a bale of hay, at least that's where it starts out. The creeper chases the gang until the bale of hay hits a silo, and then things get confusing for me. There's a, there's a lot of, I have a few like details that I wanted to pull from the chase scene. I, I mean, the creeper just kind of chases them around the barn, that, that's the setting. At one point, there's a rake lying on the ground, Oh. and Shaggy steps on it and it smacks him in the face. And they kind of do uh, that shudder. Like a plank bouncing back, and then they uh, and then they they sort of like move around it and run away. And the creeper runs up. He also gets a rake to the face. And I made a note here that like stepping on a rake and getting hit by it is not the worst case scenario when it comes to stepping on a rake. The worst case scenario is stepping on a rake. Yeah, it's. I mean, these are spiky prongs sticking up out of the ground. Last episode, we just talked about the Home Alone scene where Marv steps on a nail and it goes into his heel. That's the worst case scenario we're looking at with this rake. Yeah. And also, Scooby has paws. He doesn't have shoes or any hope of the rake not penetrating. I, I thought it was interesting that both Scooby and Shaggy and the monster hit the rake. You would think that Scooby and Shaggy would have breezed past and the monster hit it. That's just a really classic gag. To me, that speaks Tom and Jerry to this episode. Um, at one point, the gang, they get onto a horse-drawn carriage, and that's how they're escaping from the creeper. And the creeper is not to be deterred. The creeper actually gets on a horse and starts chasing them while he's riding this horse. I have, is... in, yeah, in my notes, I have chase scene, and then I have a separate bullet, chase scene continued with horses. This is nuts. It's incredible. And and it gets to the point where there is a little bit of a, I guess much like a, the fall dog, there's there's a little bit of a crevice or a gap, and the gang on this horse-drawn carriage, they leap it, and the creeper does not make the jump. Not even close. He, he goes straight down. And then bizarrely, bounces up he does like a wily e. coyote running on air thing that pulls him back up and onto the ledge like whenever you see wily e. coyote like walking out onto the air and then he falls you're like why don't you just keep walking onto the air you can clearly do it the creeper makes use of that physics it's so bizarre he literally falls down into this crevice and and comes back up this is hard evidence that the creeper is actually a phantom of some sort hard to deny and then what happens is uh they they get separated yeah the hitch comes loose uh between the cart and the horse fred daphne and velma go one way down this ravine with the cart scooby and shaggy uh are hanging onto the horse's reins and they find themselves uh, dropped outside of a chicken coop they say well you know we're chickens let's hide with the chickens our people so they go into the coop to hide from the creeper we see the creeper come in and look at chicken after chicken after Great Dane wearing a red glove on his head after chicken, and obviously there's nothing to see, so he walks back out. What has happened, and this is a very classic, I think more like Warner Brothers when I think about this, is mm. that um, Scooby is, or I guess Scooby-Doo is WB. Eventually. I don't think he's WB yet, but eventually he will be. They're, they're still Hanna-Barbera right now, but Scooby is, is sitting on an egg, which, en which ends up hatching, and if you're a cartoon character and you've sat on an egg and that egg hatches, you are now the parent to whatever comes out of that egg. We should just be grateful that the creeper wasn't sitting on that egg because we would have gotten a creeper chick in that case. But instead we have a chick that... a, a small chicken that is imprinted on Scooby, so that chicken now believes it to be Scooby's child and a dog. The chick initially is going, cheep, 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 cheep. And Shaggy's like, whoa, I'm not ready to be an uncle. Scoob, tell this chick what's up. Disabuse this chick of this notion. Uh, Scoob goes, ooh, uh, cheep, 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 hey, 
kind of like a kind of like that Australian man talking about the the wild dogs that come bouncing <laughs> up there. <laughs> and we see Shaggy like cringing right next to Scooby, who's like barking into his face. <laughs> Shaggy's like, "Why did I? Why did I marry you?" That's one of my favorite YouTube videos. Uh, that, I love that. That YouTube video is going to be in the show notes. If you don't know what we're talking about, treat yourself and go to ScoobyDudes.com and check out that show note. That is one of the funniest pieces of internet lore I've ever seen. Oh, man. Basically, uh, Scooby <laughs> makes dog sounds, and the chick, in turn, starts to make dog sounds. Scooby has failed to disabuse this chick of the notion that uh, they are related. The chick is now along for the ride with Scooby and Shaggy. Uh, the rest of the gang, they have found a vehicle kind of like in the bushes. Presumably, the vehicle that the creeper initially drove to get to where they are. Yeah, I guess. I, you know, I never really even thought of that. But Velma observes this vehicle as their first clue, which is so wrong. During the chase scene, one thing that they did was they kept passing this paper to each other within the gang to keep the creeper from getting it, because for some reason they thought the creeper wanted this piece of paper, which means this blank piece of paper must have had value. But it's not a clue somehow. Velma's supposed to be the smart analytical one. She is not at the top of her game this episode. Um, they find some torn up film negatives on the floor of this, of this car. I think Fred says, there's something strange about them. Um, and Velma says the one thing that's not strange is that somebody doesn't want somebody to see a picture of somebody. How do you read that statement? What do you take that to mean? I, I mean, here's the thing. They don't even know that the pictures are of a person. But the fact that she's assuming it is makes it sound like she believes these pictures to be sexual in nature. That's all I can read this as is like, these are sensitive photos. What kind of photos are sensitive? Probably not pictures of your social security card. Probably they're pictures of people copulating. I think I can get away with that word. I think I, I honestly, I feel like if it's a word that could be found on an SAT test. But all I, I agree with you. This is not Velma at her smartest. This is Velma at her most sarcastic. But this is like a high school, a high school kid's idea of smart. Just slinging one-liners. Um, Scooby and Shaggy have, have once again bumped into the creeper, by which I mean the chick has bumped into the creeper. Shaggy and Scooby are, are off to the side. They're, they're still hidden. The chick is barking at the creeper. And I, do, do we want to explain the Scooby-Doop every single time? I feel like we should. We should just keep describing it, right? Here's my thought. Um, on the list in general, I think we ought to phase out the list, but keep explaining stuff when it comes up. I think the Scooby-Doop is the most important thing on the list because we love it so much. Yeah, that's the one thing we can hit every time, because that's important. And this is, like, one of the worst Scooby-Doops we've ever seen. So so the Scooby-Doop, we're just gonna explain it really quickly, it's almost always Scooby and Shaggy. They have come into contact with, with the ghoul, with the ghost, with the monster, and they have created an elaborate scenario in which the social pressures are so great that the ghost or the ghoul or the monster must comply with them. And, and yeah, just basically become a part of whatever whatever scenario has been concocted. Yes. For instance, the monster might be chasing Scooby and Shaggy through a, a cornfield, but when he finally catches up with them, he finds them wearing farming outfits and carrying farming implements. And they tell him, hey, we really got to get this crop up out of the ground before uh, well, winter freeze. And so they hand him all these farming implements and make him start like digging and, uh, and shearing this corn and whatnot. And that's the thing, is the social pressure is so great, he feels like he must, must comply. And they use that opportunity to get away and potentially to shame him in the process. In this case, Scooby, he, he jumps out of the bushes, he picks up the chick, and he starts to rock it back and forth like a baby. Yeah, right in front of the creeper, who has not reacted at all. I mean, at this point, you might think that the Scooby-Doop would then be like, the creeper is maybe an 
overcome with with how adorable and how precious it is maybe the creeper yeah or that scooby might pass off the chick to the creeper be like oh hold this i'm getting the bottle yeah support its head you know its neck is very weak but scooby doesn't do that he just rocks the chick for a moment cackles as if he's done the scooby doop already like he laughs as if he's had a really good joke and then kicks the creeper in the shins and runs away and the creeper even after the kick in the shins is still nonplussed he has no reaction this is not even I, I should have hit this when we were in the um, the chase scene, but this is not even the first time Scooby-Doo has kicked the creeper. There's a, there's a scene where there's a pulley, one that you would find sort of attached to the top of a barn, and, and um, various characters are, are being pulled up and down on this pulley, the creeper being at the top, and at one point, yeah. Scooby is elevated up to where the creeper is, and he kicks him with both feet. This is Scooby-Doo attacking the monster really out of character and that was as we were transitioning from the barn chase scene to the horse chase scene it, it is really out of character and this is just such a an ineffective scooby dupe there was no wool pulled over the the creeper's eyes the creeper reacted in no way there was no clever ploy whatsoever scooby just dove out to save the duckling he should have just run away grab the duckling and run away yes the duckling oh shoot i have duckling all over my notes <laughs> <laughs> Like, it's my notes are covered with duckling. It's going to be a miracle if I don't say duckling. Scoob, for Scooby and Shaggy, I write them as SS, and so I have SS duckling, and then I have a sub-bullet making a joke about a boat name, the SS duckling. And I'm like, dang, that's good, Luke. Airtight. Evan certainly can't find anything to criticize about those notes. Uh, I was talking about violence, the violence in this episode. Mm. The rest of the gang... They hear something coming. They assume it is a creeper. And instead of creating an elaborate trap like Fred is wont to do, what Fred says instead is, uh, when I give the signal, we'll all jump him. They want to they wanna jump the creature, which is, at least it's not a skeleton, and they say they're going to jump his bones. Uh, but yeah, they're just going to plain jump the creeper. No trap planned whatsoever. And when the creeper comes around the corner and they jump him, there's a big dust fighting cloud with like limbs popping out every which way i really enjoy that gag it's it's a very uh yeah it is a very is it warner brothers that is pretty warner brothers that is the studio i would say yeah where where i guess it would be like maybe like tom of tom and jerry and like the bulldog they would get in a fight and then it would be a cloud and then you would see limbs various limbs popping out and maybe like tom's head because he's the one who's being beaten so his head would pop out he'd head pat he'd like gasp for air for a minute or two and then go back down and like keep popping out it's that's such a tried and true fight cloud the fight cloud yeah i i I really really enjoy enjoy the fight cloud and when the dust settles they find that it's scooby and shaggy who they have beaten to within an inch of their lives (laughs) they're they're actually they are resting atop of scooby and shaggy who are on their bellies they have them pinned if this was the creeper they probably would have caught him but it's not okay can i i just want to issue a very very brief spoiler warning for pirates of the caribbean um dead men tell no tales in theaters now oh this spoiler is (laughs) such a painful thing to hear (laughs) to to our listeners this spoiler that you're hearing is also my first notice that we're going to talk about this during the podcast it's it's related it's directly related no it's good to know i just know now that when we whatever we talk about before we record whatever movie it is that will be making an appearance in the podcast at some point you know gibbs and parts of the caribbean he's got like the the chops oh yeah sparrow's first mate um and he's the captain they've sort of once again in classic parts fashion they've they've abandoned sparrow and the rest they have their own ship gibbs sees off in the distance 
an imperial British frigate or what have you. And he turns to another pirate and he says, you know, Jack said that if we were ever going to leave him, you would be the captain. And this guy's like, no, 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 Gibbs, you're the captain. And Gibbs is like, no, I think, I think it was you. And he gives him the hat. And this guy's like very pleased that he's now the captain of the ship. And then there's a quick cut to them on the deck of this Imperial British frigate. And they're beating the guy. (laughs) And he actually says like, we will beat your captain to death if he does not tell us where Jack Sparrow is. That's hilarious. You've now, now I want to see the movie. And I, I cackled. And I was the only person in the movie theater laughing. That's insane. That sounds like the objectively funniest part of the movie. This guy's getting beat in the face. That's the thing. It was so like, but I couldn't. And then it shows Gibbs face and Gibbs is kind of like, oh, I, I'm still at a loss for what the connection is here. So how, how does this connect up to the episode? It's because they beat up Shaggy and Scooby. Oh, That's, they beat up it's the physical violence. You're the captain now. Uh, they, they, they see footsteps and they follow them. Shaggy and Scooby say that they've run into the creeper like a million times. Scooby pretzels his arms trying to point to which direction the creeper was. And there are a ton of footprints. And they manage to follow those towards a another gorge. Um, and across the gorge, there are two ropes stretched out. And then there's a rolled, there's a rolled up number of boards on the other side. Presumably, these boards can be rolled out across the ropes... To, to create a rope and board bridge. And if, if you're imagining four teenagers, one of whom was the swingingest gymnast in high school, and a dog, who would be the one to have to go across these ropes? A dog, which, mind you, has no thumbs. No opposable thumbs, yeah, like there's no way... A human can actually cross ropes very easily with a little bit of hand strength. Even just arm strength, you can just wrap yourself around and sloth your way over. But immediately the gang's like, oh, Scooby you're the one who has to go across and, and unroll those planks for us. They're going not by skill of crossing ropes, but by value of life. That's the one standard. That's ex- that's exactly it, right? <laughs> there's no reason that Scooby should be the one to do this, but they're like, huh? Oh, oh. There's human life and there's canine life. They, they would sooner throw 2,000 dog lives at this, just like one dog after another, than have one human try it. Really, why not have the baby chick try it? So long as we're throwing animals at this problem, we don't care too much about that animal. I mean, it it's nice in that uh, we have a Scooby snack scene. Yes, they say, hey, will you do it for a Scooby snack? Fred pulls out what looks like a thick cup coaster. <laughs> and he, he tosses it to Scooby. And it's actually the chick who is atop Scooby's head who who uh, crams it down its gullet. Yeah, the, the chick eats the Scooby snack instead of Scooby. Now, if that was me and someone had just offered me 20 bucks to risk my life and someone else had actually gotten the 20 bucks... I would have said, no deal, I'm not doing this, but Velma, yet again, really cementing herself as the secondary villain of this story, says, deal's a deal, Scooby, cross that bridge. I love that. We'll pick up your mangled corpse from the bottom. It's very, very much like, I have altered the deal, pray I do not alter it further. Dinkley is dark this episode. Darth Dinkley. Darth Velma. I also like that for a very brief moment scooby is like so pissed at the chick but it it melts off his face and he's kind of like almost immediately but oh you rascal scooby can't stay mad and also now i'm going to essentially risk my life crossing these these two ropes suspended over a presumably very deep gorge do you remember if the chick was on scooby while he did that i believe it was that's good because the chick shouldn't be able to jump off with the reward and let scooby do the risk he makes his way across the ropes at one point he does run 
on thin air, as as we've made reference to. But he does manage to get across, and he, he rolls the planks over so the rest of the gang, with each of their sh hands on the following member's shoulders, gingerly walk across. I love that. They were so careful. And I can't blame them for being careful. I can blame them for not giving an F about Scooby's life. I mean, we, not too long ago, we went to an indoor rope bridge kind of obstacle course thing. We did. And some of those things were very, like, if we were on this bridge, it would be kind of nervous. But just the fact that they had not given even a second thought to Scooby crawling across without planks on it. Yet, yet they take every safety precaution when they're the ones who are crossing the bridge. If you guys have ever seen like one of those gifs or videos of a dog balancing on a rope on the internet, that's one of the most impressive dog tricks to me. It, it's just so unreasonable what they made Scooby do here. So they're they're inside this cave. I should have sorry. We should have mentioned that across the gorge is a cave. They're inside this cave now, and they bump into the self-proclaimed Hermit of the Hills. Yes, they they find the Hermit of the Hill, who Daphne says looks worse than the Creeper. Uh, and, and really all he is, is he's just a, a white-haired, bearded, kind of hillbilly-looking-ish man. He, he giggles a lot. It's very disconcerting. He's not the, not the most charming fellow, not the most polished dude. Uh, he offers, he, he's like, oh, you're just in time for dinner. He has a stew bubbling. It, it's kind of cauldron-looking thing, and he offers a Shaggy a little bite of what's in there. So he ladles him a little spoonful. Shaggy says it tastes disgusting. Blech. It's uh, squirrel stew with pickled bat wings and crabgrass roots. Oh, Shaggy's, uh, I'm so sorry, I'm on a, a strict squirrel-free diet, and he runs away. And the gang pretty much follows him. Velma says she believes the hermit is actually the creeper, and that it's the hermit disguise doesn't fool her for a moment. And once again, Velma is supposed to be the smart one. But what she suggested is that the creeper is the real person dressed up as a hermit. She says it's a hermit disguise that is really the creeper. <laughs> and you know, this, this, uh, this otherworldly phantom is just pretending to be a humble mountain man <laughs> to fool us. That's what I take that to mean. They escape this this mountain man, and he is very perturbed by, by this course of events, and he yells at them to come back. I had a hot rod flashback here, did you? Babe! Babe! Babe, wait! Babe! Babe! Babe, wait, no! Babe, wait, no! Babe, no! The hermit said, come back! Come back! Come back! Come back! It's sad. I guess he really wanted them to try more of his stew, but they all flee his cave. They're all out of there. What an interesting... For, for a hermit who is so lonely and desires company, he's sort of created an entrance that is uh, almost impossible to to uh, to cross. Yeah, well, or I mean, they're, they're going in there at night. If I was the hermit, this would be a... This is actually a very nice place to live. Like, it's very safe in the mountains. These two ropes are going to be tough to traverse for any kind of animals who might want to do him harm. Except that I guess dogs can do it, so wolves can too. They're t they don't want anything to do with this Hermit of the Hills. There's the mystery machine. Let's, I guess, let's go to the mall shop, I, I suppose. They, they walk back to the mystery machine as they're going back there. Fred says there's no doubt in his mind that the Hermit is the Creeper. But as soon as they open the van... The Creeper is sitting behind the wheel. My mystery machine! <laughs> I thought that the creeper was like planning on working for Uber or something. Like he looks like he's getting ready to drive them somewhere. I I actually love that. That is it's it's both scary and very funny at the same time. That that is right in the sweet spot. Cuz it it's so goofy to see him sitting behind there, but also it's like no, this is our mystery machine. This is like a safe space. That is like that's Fred's seat. Seeing someone other than Fred, even if it's just like Shaggy or Velma or Daphne, is weird. Seeing the creeper there is disturbing. It's that perfect intersection of horror and hilarity. There's once again a chase scene. 
Yeah, they they run back to the barn for that. It's a record high for chase scenes, I think. The first one was so long. It was a very lengthy chasing. They did the whole song, a song composed for the purposes of this episode. At one point, the creeper is chasing Velma. Velma stops and says, you wouldn't hit somebody with glasses on, would you? So he snatches the glasses off of her face. All right, so now you're going to hit her? In response, she kicks him in the shin, hard, and this time he really reacts. You can tell it connected. It's so interesting because I feel like this is a big thing in, like, children's movies. A la, like, Home Alone and that sort of thing where, like, you kick an adult in the shin, they, they are in pain, you can run away, you can scamper away. This eventually graduated into kicking adults in the groin, but this is the more innocent and the more young version of it. I guess it's because if you're a kid, you imagine kicking an adult in the shins because that's the most vulnerable area that's immediately accessible. But yeah, she, she kicks him in the shins. Then we have a montage of Scooby and Shaggy running away from the creeper. And, and then I wrote in my notes, we finally did it. The corridor scene is finally enacted um we we get a shot of the barn and we have people running in and out of this open area from different directions and it is for all points and purposes the hallway or corridor scene but in a barn setting and what we mean by the corridor scene this is beyond the scooby dupe my favorite uh trope my favorite recurring gag it's where there's a hallway with a series of doors on either side and the monster will chase a member or the whole gang into one door out of another door these doors are nonsensically connected and the members leave these doors in rapidly rearranging orders like the gang is chasing the monster the monster is chasing the gang scooby is chasing shaggy the monster just everybody pokes their head out of the doors and then they go back in it's not perfect and it lacks a little bit because you don't have all the doors it's more of them just walking in and out of like this this barn area this open space yeah. but it's still that is what it is Right before the uh, the climax of the chase scene, the creeper gets Fred on a straightaway. Like, the chief, the creeper is chasing Fred one-on-one, and Fred says, Uh-oh, looks like I'm a goner. Yeah, like, I, I, I am now dead. I've accepted my fate. Uh, I have made peace with, with the gods. Mine was a verbatim quote. Yours is the only possible interpretation of that verbatim quote. That's, yeah. And uh, ultimately, tr- Fred trips, the creeper trips over him, and flies overhead. Fred says, sorry about that, because <laughs> Fred's just such a nice guy. And following that, they, they find themselves again at the top of the barn, getting ready to jump off. The only thing that they can do is jump. So they jump into, into hay. The creeper has been very quick to follow them into such situations. And perhaps to his, uh, to his detriment now, he jumps after them into this hay. But this isn't just a pile of hay. This is a pile of hay on top of a hay baler. Which I am positive would kill a person. It would kill you. To be stuck in a hay baler would absolutely 100% kill you. So if you guys watch this episode and you think, oh, I want to be in a hay baler too, don't. You'll die. Actually, you know what? I don't want to say nobody should die. If you think you want to be in a hay baler, email us a little bit about your life. <laughs> ScoobyDudesPodcast at gmail.com. We'll tell you whether or not you should take a ride in a hay baler or not. Um, but they... Pretty much everybody except Scooby dives into this bale of hay, this hay baling machine, and ultimately it's Scooby who bails them out. Scooby doesn't really know what to do. They're sort of having another, again, fight. They're they're fighting inside this bale of hay. This they, is you, you sort of hear these this is, these sounds of conflict. It's like a fight cloud, except it's a fight bale because it's hay. We see all the fists and stuff poking out of it. And it's it's the chick who sort of like points at the button, like press this button. So the machine turns on, Scooby presses it, and what comes out of the machine? 
but individual bales of hay with a head sticking out of each one connected to the rest of a body, alive. Yeah, but it's not a dismembered head balancing atop a bale of hay, as it would be if you used a hay baler like that. Again, children. And one of these bales of hay has the creeper head poking out of the top of it, which means we finally caught the creeper, not by means of a trap, but by means of a very pleasing chase scene. They pull the mask off of the creeper. Who could it possibly be? I mean, who, really, who could it possibly be? Let's go through the, uh, the suspects. Could it be the bank guard himself? Well, the bank guard was, unless we pan, we were focused on the bank guard, and we panned to the bushes, and the bank guard had swiftly changed clothes and hid behind these bushes, it could not possibly be the bank guard. Yeah, and really, I think we saw them both in the same moment. I think unless we have a flashback that contradicts the initial scene we saw, it's not the bank guard. And there's a variety of teens who we don't who don't speak at all. There's Mr. Carswell, and there is the Hermit of the Hills. But it's not him. It's not the Hermit of the Hills. But why not? Is it because he's a hermit who lives in a cave? Yeah. Which is separated from the rest of the world by a gorge. And there's no reason whatsoever to believe that he is the creeper. And since we were in his cave, like, we would have seen the creeper outfit or something. Although there is the question of why did the footprints lead them to the hermit's cave? And that's never answered. Yeah, the hermit was really the most jarring, ugly red herring. Yeah, it, it was a pink herring at best. It was not, not very effective. Initially, I thought Mr. Carswell was the red herring because he was saying such creepy things like, Oh, you did well to bring him here to my home instead of the hospital. By the way, did you find any clues as to who did it? It is obviously Mr. Carswell. It's definitely Mr. Carswell. And how he did it was... Since he was the last person to leave the bank every day, remember, he was the bank manager, he would just fill a briefcase with money every night on his way out. And then walk out. <laughs> it was the perfect plan. And, As and if when a bank is robbed and there's no break-in, the first thing that's done isn't to, like, talk to people who work there. At my job, money went missing. And let me tell you, it is a whole everybody gets grilled. First things first, uh, probably from the higher-ups to the lowest people. It, they would start with Mr. Carswell. I, and, and here's the thing, Mr. Carswell's plan is, I do not want to be implicated for this missing money. I am the last person to leave for the day. What I will do is, I will don a ghoul costume. I will then stand right outside of the doors. After I've locked it up, I like lock it up, put the keys in my pocket. Now it's the creeper's pocket, not my own. And then I will then pretend to abscond with the cash making sure that people can see me and know who i am because i'll be saying Reaper. there must be witnesses present for for, his, for this plan to work it, it was just an outright bad plan it's a miracle he hasn't already gotten arrested for it and why, why did the guard play into it at all that's really the mystery right what happened is this this prison guard who i do not believe gets a name bank guard yeah he, his job is at stake because money is disappearing out of this out of this locked bank and this guard is like look i presumably he has a wife and kids and you know people are like well, you can't even stop like like go a ghost from taking the money so he takes matters in you're reading a lot into the psyche that went into his decisions but i think you're not inaccurate he takes matters into his own hands and he conceals he he installs a concealed infrared camera in in the room where the vault is which hilariously is uh, is not concealed at all no it's a big chunky like i thought it was a video camera apparently it's just a camera sticking out of the wall at head level it's not even up and out of sight and uh what happened is is mr carswell realizes that he has been caught he eventually sees this enormous device realizes that he has been caught for the crime red-handed 
uh, and must therefore stop this prison guard. He sees that he's been caught, but the prison guard has somehow gotten the photo. Like, he doesn't dismantle the camera, he goes after the guard. Somehow, between getting caught and, uh, and like, leaving the bank for the day, even though he was supposed to be the last one, the prison guard managed—why I say the prison guard? The bank guard. <laughs> oh, shoot. Did I say prison guard earlier? You said prison guard? I, I briefly corrected you, and then I started saying prison guard, too. Yes, this episode certainly features both a duckling and a prison guard. <laughs> So just remember, this is the episode with the duckling and the prison guard. So Mr. Carswell basically goes after the bank guard because the bank guard now has evidence that it was Mr. Carswell the whole time. Well, here's, here's my question. Does the bank guard know it's Mr. Carswell? Well, we don't know. Um, if so, why didn't the bank guard, when he was knocked out, simply say, Mr. Carswell, rather than the flame will tell the creeper? And why did... Yeah, and why did he have Mr. Carswell's address in his car? Because what happens is... To confront him? I think presumably he was going to Mr. Carswell's house. Like, that was the, the original plan. In which case, Mr. Carswell should have just let him go to the house. And then, le- <laughs> instead, he, he left him on the road. Alive, no less. Like, if he killed him, that would have been better. He should have accosted him in the safety of his own home. In fact, here's the thing. The gang deliver the bank guard. I almost said prisoner guard again. The gang delivered the bank guard to his home. The sheriff finds the bank guard tied up in the basement. Yeah, so that's what Mr. Carswell ultimately did anyways. He just tied up the guard and put him in his basement. Like, at least chop him up and feed him to the pigs guy. Like, why didn't he do that to, to begin with? He just leaves him on the side of the road. He, why did he leave the guard the, there? Perhaps there's somehow an adequate explanation for this, but we are not given it. Um, all we are told is that uh, the guard set up this camera to catch Mr. Carswell. He did. Mr. Carswell confronted him on the road as the creeper. And, uh, and then when the gang delivered him again, guard got tied up and put in the basement. The only logical explanation is that Mr. Carswell is bad at plans. A common fault of many villains we've encountered. To, to his credit, he does say blasted meddling kids. He does say that. Which is the closest we have gotten to, I would have gotten away with it too. If it weren't for you meddling kids. And then he's and he's going to be carted off by the sheriff, who has appeared. He's come back from his out-of-town trip. Um, the gang does not ask what he was doing, but I presume if they were to ask, the sheriff would have said, Oh, I was just looking for this cannibalistic mountain man who's been cooking teenagers and feeding them to other teenagers. Haven't been able to find the guy yet. It's very disturbed. Like, the Hermit of the Hills is a very disturbing character. And all on a limb on his own. There's no connection to the Hermit in anything else in the episode. The Hermit of the Hills could have been a Scooby-Doo monster in a another episode to give you guys a bird's eye view of all the inconsistencies in this episode i'll refer to the official scooby wikia and at the end of this very long wikia entry there is a uh, an entry titled inconsistencies slash continuity errors and or goofs slash oddities and the second bullet point under that simply reads this episode is poorly executed colon six lengthy bullet points one of which has a sub-bullet point with even more detail on it. That Most of those bullets aren't even covering the stuff that we mentioned. Here's, here's my favorite part, and, and again, I, I'll put a link in the show notes to this wiki page. I'm going to read the last one, because I, I find it hilarious. Mm-hmm. With the case wrapped up, the gang are ready to join their friends at the mall shop, and if the episode went any longer, it would have been shown. But they're a little presumptuous that they would still be there, since it was already dark when the party at the barn started, and it would have been even later by the time they got there, as the case would have at least taken a couple of hours. There's nothing to say that the party didn't go on for hours after, especially if daylight savings are involved. <laughs> My favorite thing about, about this trivia 
is that it glosses over the glaring errors in the episode, like the frank, undeniable errors and, and continuity problems, and it zeroes in on stuff that aren't problems, and it doesn't cite problems with it. For instance, one bullet point in the series of bullets that's meant to convey underneath this episode is poorly executed. One of the bullet points in support of that is uh, simply speculates that we don't know how long Mr. Carswell has been stealing from the bank. Maybe it's been quite a while. Maybe it's been one day. We aren't sure how long it's been. Next bullet point. What? What on earth are you? What are you saying? It needs. It needs a little trimming. Like there's some. There's some goofs and gaffs that that are valid. Some. Some of it's not great though. There definitely are. For instance, there's two scenes, two separate scenes or shots of Mr. Carswell with his leg apparently amputated behind the end table. Neither of those are cited. What are cited is the fact that we don't know exactly how many days Mr. Carswell is stolen from the bank. We don't need to know that. Uh, I, I mean, really, by the end of it, I was expecting a full-term paper on why chicks don't actually imprint on dogs. And if they do imprint on dogs, they don't bark. And if they do modify their speech patterns, they don't do it that much. And we still don't know how many days Mr. Carswell was stealing from the bank. Why chicks don't imprint on dogs sounds like a 2,000-page article that some beta male put together. <laughs> it does sound like a, an r slash incel. Oh, um, uh, mm. Like a like yeah like a nice Post. a nice guy TM, uh, penned one day, why chicks don't imprint on dogs, uh, never been kissed nice guy virgin AMA. Hey. <laughs> no, I, I'm not referring to you on that, Evan. I don't think you're a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> no offense, obviously, my friend. <laughs> That's the episode, really. Uh, let's wrap this up. Is there is there anything else you want to touch on? I mean, it's. It's a ri- this is a ride, and as classic as it is, it's really disjointed and all over the place. It's very disjointed, very all over the place. And we've lambasted other episodes for those same qualities, but here I have no complaints. I, I complained plenty, but I have no complaints at the end. I really enjoyed myself, and this was just a breath of fresh air after all the new episodes we've been seeing. I really don't have much, anything more, dude. No, how about I you? Think, I think that's a wrap. It's over. The episode's over. Uh, the episode is now over, and you have uh, you have arrived at the in- the outro portion of this uh, the outro portion of this episode. I'm sad. I'm saddy too. Wow. Womp womp. Goodbye, episode. We loved you. I can't tell if you're sad or constipated. It's such a it's such a toss up. One summons the other, and that was the full episode. Why won't the poop come out? Why did she leave me? That's a sketch. I swear that's a sketch. I'm constipated. <laughs> and the award for worst pun of 2017. With six months left oh, in the year, they're man. still giving it out. I no, I think that it has legs. I think that that's. I think that there's something there. But that really was the whole episode, and this genuinely is the outro. Yeah, we would just like to thank you for listening to that. We will have another episode next week. Uh, but before mm-hmm. we get to that, we would like to just talk to you about a few more places that you can find us and maybe enjoy our podcast to the fullest. While we're thanking these guys, let's thank the most thankable listeners that we have. I hope they're listeners anyway, because they're also donors to the podcast. 
there are patrons. Yeah, there are a number of uh, of again, ideally listeners who uh, donate to us on a on a platform called Patreon. So uh, patreon.com slash Scooby Dudes. Uh, they give us a little bit of money every month, uh, and we. We not only provide them with bonus content on that site, we also say their names each and every week. Yeah, we'll shout you out the first time you donate and every subsequent week after that. So you're not just supporting a podcast that's a passion project between me and Evan. It's out of our pockets if it's not out of yours. You're also getting great original content consistently on Patreon. And then again, we're going to shout you out every single week, just like we're going to shout out these esteemed individuals. All right, so here are their names. And once again, uh, we are immensely grateful for them. Thank you. (laughs) There they are. Again, thank you so much. That was my very happy thank you. Um, you uh, You can find us on Facebook. Hit us up on Facebook if you if you like. Hit us up on Twitter. Um, Twitter, we're at the Scooby Dudes. Really, we're so Googleable. We sh- you should be able to yeah, find us. Facebook is just facebook.com/slash Scooby Dudes. Uh, if you wanted to shoot us an email, send us some electronic mail. Yeah. If you need to get us an attachment, uh, just drop it right in. The, just click and drag it into the email, or you can click the paperclip icon. That'll pop open a dialog box. That dialog box is going to let you explore your computer for the appropriate file. Select it, drop it in, click send. Okay, you need to put in our address. Our address is scoobydudespodcast at gmail.com. What do you think they're sending us, Evan? Trojans, probably. <laughs> yeah, probably viruses. <laughs> malware. Khajiit has malwares. <laughs> Just a just a really dope Skyrim reference for all you elite gamers out there. If you have the Bitcoin, Khajiit has malwares. <laughs> that was actually pretty good. I don't hate that's, that. That's, I I'm almost I almost like myself now. Uh, I think uh, that's it. Oh, that's yeah, almost hey. everything. But the best place, the best place to check us out, go to ScoobyDudes.com. Find the episode title. There will be a beautifully illustrated title card click on it you will see captions or sorry screenshots with captions it's uh, honestly i i'm this is the proud the the thing that i am proudest about on our podcast is the production quality we have fantastic original art for every single episode and the screenshots and captions are hilarious evan and i do those originally every week you could just read those independent of every episode, and I think you'd get your money's worth. As we've said, uh, in this actual episode, uh, there's at least one YouTube video that will be in the uh, in the show notes. This episode has an unprecedented three YouTube clips. So uh, those are there for your enjoyment. These are great clips. We shouted them out for a reason. You're going to want these cu- cultural touch points. So please check us out at ScoobyDudes.com. If you like, check us out Twitter, Facebook and uh, gmail send us a message and definitely check us out on patreon more than anything make sure you come back next week for next week's episode yeah we're uh going to be covering a little show called mystery incorporated uh we've already recorded the meat of that episode and it is a thrill please 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 don't miss next week's episode and treat yourself watch the episode it's episode one of mystery incorporated uh come on back next week and uh, i just want to say i really love all you guys i love you and why don't you love me (laughs) (laughs) all right that's it that's it